pivotal chapter it is one of i don't want to say the most important chapters because it's all important but it's one of the most important for you to understand what's going on in scripture i mean it, it pretty much lays out the case of everything that's going to be happening so this to not understand this chapter is to misunderstand pretty much the the theme of scripture theme of the entire bible and so last week we saw of course we saw what happened the serpent entered the garden we saw the serpent deceived uh, the woman the woman then uh gave the fruit to her husband we talked about the husband was right there with her the whole time all the verbs are plural uh they're not singular they uh the husband should have acted way before he did he should have done more and now God, remember God uh, came and they hid from God. They clothed themselves with um, fig leaves to try to hide their nakedness and shame. And God was walking in the garden and he, he called, where are you? They, he, Adam said, I hid because I was naked. Remember, neither one of them wanted to confess. They wanted to blame everybody else. The man blamed, the, man blamed God, really, but he dumped it on the woman, the woman you gave me. The woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent, uh, he didn't give the serpent an opportunity to, uh, to explain. He gave the man and the woman an opportunity to explain themselves, but not the serpent. And we left off at verse 13. In chapter 3, where it says, and, and the man said, The woman you gave me did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And she said, The serpent beguiled me, and I, and I did eat. Now, at this moment, God is going to turn to the serpent, and he's not going to give the serpent any opportunity to explain, any opportunity to express anything like he did the man the woman. From this point on, from verse 14 down to verse 19, it's, all, it's going to be God pronouncing the curse. Pronouncing the curse on creation, pronouncing the punishment on the man and the woman and on the serpent. He's going to start with the serpent, then he's going to move to the woman, and then he's going to move to the man. He's going to pronounce the curse. And the, 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 what he's talking about here, what he's doing when he's pronouncing this, is he is describing the state of the world now that the fall has taken place. And this is what, is the, this is what Christ is needed for to redeem us. And in verse 15, we're going to see the first promise of Christ. The first promise that there is a Messiah who is coming. Okay? Everybody with me? Any questions before we begin? No? Okay. So God speaks in uh, uh, verse 14. He turns to the serpent and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this. What did he do? Deceived. Yeah. He deceived the woman. He enticed her to disobey God's command. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon, the on the, upon thy belly thou shalt go, dust thou shalt eat all the days of, of your life, all the days of thy life. Now, when he says above all the cattle, that implies that now all of the all the animals, all of creation is now cursed. We're going to see this uh, later on too, is the ground is cursed because of what has happened and it will no longer yield to the man and all that kind of stuff. So Adam's sin and the New Testament does put the blame on Adam, not on Eve. I mean, it was her sin as well, but Adam was the one that was commanded not to eat of the fruit. Adam was the one that was given dominion over creation. Uh, of course, the man and the woman had dominion, but you know what I mean? His role was protector, keeper, uh, guard. Uh, his, his role was to uh, be responsible for his wife and for the garden and for all those things. And so uh, we're going to see that... Um, 
now all of the creation is cursed. Adam, when he sinned, he didn't just bring death upon himself. He brought a curse upon the entire creation. He brought, he was, what we call it the federal head. He was your uh, he was your head. He was your representative, whether you like it or not. Talk to the youth about this Wednesday night. He was your representative before God. You didn't get a say in the matter. And he blew it. And now Christ comes as the perfect Adam, and he is your representative before God if you are in Christ. So one of the two, you'll either be represented in Adam by your own sin, by the own, your own fall, or you'll be represented in Christ. And so now the, the serpent, he says, cursed are you. Uh, you'll go on your belly and you'll lick the dust of the earth. Uh, I, I told you last week, there's really no point in discussing what he might have looked like beforehand. Some people take the tack that he says, you know, because you're cursed now, now the serpent will go on its belly. And that means that he had legs or something beforehand. Uh, there, there's nothing in the text that says that. And to be honest with you, Moses here writing Genesis is not concerned about that at all. He is trying to let us know what happened. And in verse 14, the serpent is cursed. In verse 15, we're going to talk about the power behind the serpent, which was who? Satan. Satan. That's right. That's right. And so a lot of people, there's books written. You know, I know y'all may not be interested in this or not, but there's lots of books written about how this ain't true because serpents really don't lick the dust. You know, they, they put that tongue out to feel, you know. But if, remember we talked about, at the very beginning of Genesis, we talked about phenomenological language. What is phenomenological language? Anybody remember? Yeah, what it looks like. Yeah, you're describing what it looks like. The sun really don't rise, but it look, but to describe the sun rising is not to say an untrue statement because that's what it looks like. And for a Hebrew looking at a serpent, what does it look like? Looks like Joker's licking the dust, really. I mean, so he's describing it in words that they would understand. You know, otherwise, if there were no phenomenological language in there, God's word would be ineffective until modern times, until modern science. It was effective for them as well. And so the serpent licks the ground of dust. And then verse 15, this is the thematic statement of the Bible. This, this is one you probably should put to memory. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, if, if you care. It's called the first gospel. The first gospel proclamation is Genesis 3.15. It says, he's talking to the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity. What's enmity? Anybody know? Hatred. I will put hatred. I will put uh, strife. I'll put enmity between thee. Who is thee? Who is he talking to? The serpent. That's right. Talk to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between thee. Uh, where am I? There is a little bitty print. Thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it, who is it? It shall bruise your head. Who is the it? No, the, well, the seed, yes, but it is Christ. It is Christ. It is the first uh, prophecy of Christ. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise its heel. Now, it's interesting, huh? I have the hardest time wrapping my head around that one. About the bruising of the head. I don't know. I don't. Well, it's a picture of a man stepping on a snake. It's a picture of a man squashing a snake's head. You remember in the, in the Passion when he got up out of the Garden of Gethsemane and he stomped the head of the snake? Yeah. Well, and that's the picture. God has given. This is a prophecy of Christ. Over and over again, I told you this last week. 
This is what you have to see if we're going to understand how Christ is in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and all those. This is what you have to see. The seed, the seed of the woman is going to be the promise. From this point on, from, from Genesis 4 on, what you're going to see in Scripture is a battle between the seeds. The seed of the woman which is the godly line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're going to see that promise of the seed passed down from Abraham. He's going to pass it down to Isaac and then to Jacob instead of Esau. And you're going to see the, the two lines. In the, in the very next chapter, you're going to see the two lines. You're going to see Cain, who First John tells us is of the devil. He is the seed of the serpent. And you're going to see Abel, who is the righteous one. And we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews tells us that he uh, 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 that by faith he, he presented an offering that was acceptable to God. And in 1 John, it says that Cain hated Abel because Abel's deeds were righteous. And so from this point on, you're going to see the two lines, the two seeds, the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. That seed promise is going to pass from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down to David until it finally comes in fulfillment in Christ. Christ is the seed of the woman that steps on the head of the serpent that destroys the work of the devil, devil, the said devil. <laughs> that destroys the work of the devil. It says that he came to destroy the work of the devil and, and there's lots of texts that talk about that, uh, about him destroying the work of the devil. And he is the promised seed. Why is he called the seed of the woman? Anybody know? Because of the childbirth. Well, it, it, that absolutely is childbirth, but what would you say, Dean? He's born of God. Yeah, he usually when you're talking about quote unquote seed, like Abraham's seed, Isaac's seed, usually it's the man that, I mean, I'm not going to give you a big uh, anatomy lesson, but usually it's the man with the seed, right? But he says the seed of the woman because Christ didn't have an earthly father. He was the seed of a woman. He was the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she was pregnant by God. She was not impregnated by God, but she was with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was his, was his earthly father, but not his biological father. He is the only man, and he is God-man, he's the only man that was born without the curse of Adam. Because he had no father. He had no earthly father. The, the curse was not passed to him because the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she was with child. So it says the seed, the enmity, enmity, the, the hatred that he's going to put between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is what, uh, is what we call regeneration. When you're lost, when I'm lost, <clears throat> I don't want to do anything but sin. Okay? Even if I try to be good, you know, as far as society-wise, people that are lost hate God. You know, they, they might not say, I hate God, but they hate the God of the Bible. You know, they, they might believe in some being out there that's, you know, in control of things and is all good and he's big granddaddy in the sky. But this God that says, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, thou shalt keep my commands, all that. This God, they don't, they, they don't like that God. They don't want that God. What happened was Adam and Eve chose to side with the serpent. They chose to listen to the words of the serpent rather than to hear and obey the words of God. That, and so they align themselves with the serpent. So now they are fallen creatures. Now they are sinful. Now they have flesh. And now, uh, no, not 
they had flesh before, but you know what I mean? Now they have a corrupt flesh nature that, that desires to sin and wants to do all those things. You're going to see it grow and grow and grow all the way to Genesis 6 where it says all the imaginations of man's heart were corrupt and, and futile all the time. They were wicked all the time. It's going to grow and grow and grow. And so God is prophesying here that there's going to come a day that I'm going to send a seed. And that seed is going to crush your head. And as he's going to bruise your head, you're going to bruise his heel. It's a picture of him stepping on the head, snake, snake's head. He says, but I am going to put hatred in the seed of the woman's heart for you. He says, I'm going to change that heart so no longer does it side with you, but it sides with me again. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? He's given in Genesis 3.15, you have a thematic statement here that is pretty much the purpose of of the of the entire rest of the Bible. It, it, it foreshadows everything that is to come in Scripture. Are y'all with me? Is there any questions? Y'all see that? I'll put enmity between you. The seed will be coming. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, if you care. Um, uh, he turns his attention then. Just pipe in if you, want, if you have a question or something. He turns his attention to the woman next and then to the man. And he's going to describe the curse. In 16, he said unto the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. One verse, he tells you what the woman's, uh, what you're going to see is both in the woman and the man, the, uh, the, the nature of the curse, the nature of the corruption is in her roles. What was the command he gave Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So now, when they're fruitful and multiply, she is going to have pain in childbirth, sorrow in... It's, it's talking about the whole process. It's not just talking about, man, it hurts when you have babies. That's part of it. That's part of it. That's part of the curse, part of the fall. But he's talking about sorrow through the entire process of childbearing. Uh, it, it basically affected her role as life giver, put it that way. It affected her role as life giver. It, it affected the way that, you know, the word sorrow here is the same word that's going to be used for Adam. Sorrow, you'll toil in the land and, and, and all those things. But it includes, if you ask me, now I don't have no firsthand experience, but if you ask me, it includes the entire process from conception, it's what it says right there in that conception, all the way to childbearing. It talks about, I'm talking about, I mean, y'all can help me. You ladies talking about sickness, talking about anxiety, talking about all the changes that go on in your body and in your mind, your emotional state when you're pregnant. Talking about, of course, the pain in giving birth. You're talking about, I mean, you're talking about a whole host of things. Everything, everything. The huh? Because of the fall. Yeah, they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, and it there there was no pain. There was no. I mean, there was no curse. There was no anything. And all of a sudden, now that sin has entered the picture, now that the fall has taken place, now her role as life giver, her role as Mother, she's going to be named at the end of this chapter. Adam's going to name her mother of all the living. 
her role as as life giver has been affected and we're going to see Adam's role as protector and guardian and provider is going to be affected. So their roles and what God has designed them to do are now affected in the curse, in the fall. And so I don't think it, it does include the pain of childbirth. As, but the word sorrow here, the, word, the Hebrew word that's used, is not usually the word that we see used for birth pains. But it talks about, so it, and it talks about the conception as well as to bring forth of children. So it's talking about the whole process. It's talking about all the things that go on. You could probably tell me stories about, you know, like Dana had gestational diabetes through two kids or one kid, two kids. You know, so that was one of the issues that we had. And then you got, you know, uh, if you're, how you, oh, when, what age do you start having to go to the special doctor when you're pregnant? Like 35? Yeah. Like, so, so, you know, Eve was given birth at, you know, 700. So, you know, it's all good. But what I'm saying is, you've got all these issues. You've got to take, you know, your prenatal vitamins because there's going to be, you know, you could have things wrong with you. It's just all of these things that go along. It's not supposed to be that way. It wasn't supposed to be that way. They were supposed to, they were supposed to be able to, I mean, I don't want to give you a picture of giving birth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But all of you who have given birth... You know all the problems, all the issues. It affected her role. But it also affected her role with her husband. Did you see that second part? It said, it said, uh, man, a little bitty. I need to get a new Bible. It said, no, I got it. It says, it shall, no, it says, uh, uh, you'll bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Now that's a hard, it's kind of a hard verse to translate. When this word for desire, it's only, it only appears in two other places in the Old Testament. Uh, one is in Song of, Song of Psalms, Song of Psalms where it's talking about desire, like sexual desire, like you would, you would think. But the other place is in Genesis 4. Look, if my, it's on the same page on my Bible. Genesis 4, verse 7, he's talking to Cain about why his offering was not accepted. And God told Cain, he said, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, it says, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. He's saying, sin desires to have you. It desires to dominate you. It desires to rule over you. And he says, and thou shalt rule over him. It uses the same phraseology there in Genesis 4 as it uses here in Genesis 3. So I take this to mean that the woman is now, uh, what will happen because of the curse, because of the fall, is she will be bent toward independence. She will be bent toward ruling over her husband rather than being in the role that she was designed to be. She will now have a sinful bent to, uh, to come out from under that headship. But it says the husband will rule over you. And that is also affecting the husband's bent now to rule over her, not in a loving, caring, responsibility way, but in a domineering, uh, domineering, you know, unloving way. Does that make sense? The roles of both man and woman have been corrupted. So now they're bent, they're heart, their sinful nature is going to fight against the God-given roles that they were, that they were supposed to be. Does that make sense? She's supposed to be more rebellious now. She, yes, she will be bent. It says your desire will be for your husband. I take that. The only other time, it's not usually the word used for desire. It, the only other time it's used in a context like this 
<coughs> I swallowed my mint. Is when, uh, is when uh, uh, he's talking about sin wanting to have Cain, sin wanting to take Cain, you know. And so that's what that's what I see here in this text. And so what we're saying is not that you know all you women are bad and y'all are all just you need you know. We talked about the roles of men and women last time or when they were created and put in the garden. We've already had that discussion. But now there's a corruption in us, not just in the woman, but in the man as well. There's a corruption that the woman now will. You just have that that feeling inside. You know, you know the feeling. Come on, y'all don't play like you don't. It's that flesh nature. If I say the the word submit, you know, y'all women are like, amen. You know, you got that feeling down in there like, oh, okay, there's something there that I just don't like. You got that feeling. What we really want, and then I think that's when the pride steps in and well, I work just as hard. You don't tell me what to do. That's for me. I'm just speaking for myself. Like, I want Dean to be the head, the boss, so to speak, or whatever. But when he does try to do that, you kind of kick against it. Yeah. And that's the same way it is. It, he says, and the he will rule over you also includes the man. That rule is not just the, now he's going to have to rule over you. This is the man, his role is corrupted as well because he is bent toward rulership rather than responsibility. Rather than, you know, he, just like the woman is bent to sin against her role, the man is also, because of the curse, because of the fall, his fleshly nature, he is bent to sin against his role as well and dominate rather than loving, you know, love like Christ loved the church. That's where, you know, pride cometh before the fall. That's where that steps in because it's pride on a woman's part and wanting that you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. And it's also pride in that man's part of, you're going to do what I say. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it is a consistent battle of the flesh, which is why, you know, script, you know, pride does come before the fall. That's why divorce rates are so high as they are. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. But, so, you know, it, you have to, you really have to be really grounded in the scriptures in order for that, that part of your, your natural mind and your body to fight against oh yeah yeah we're we're that's how we are by nature until we are changed by the holy spirit and even after being changed by the holy spirit it's still a war it's still a war that goes on there you have now the spirit of god inside when when you when you fail in that role the spirit when the the flesh leads you to fail in that role you have now uh uh, a, a backstop that says, you know, the Holy Spirit will say, you sinned, uh, you know, we need to fix this. We need to come and come behind this. But there's a war now that goes on. But this wasn't the way it was originally intended. This was not the way it was before the fall. This was not the way it was supposed to be. This was, there was perfect unity. There was perfect, there was no sin. There was no selfishness. There was no pride. There was no, none of that happened after, or uh, before the fall. And so, he, he, he pronounces judgment on the woman in her role as mother, in her role as childbearer, but also as her role as helpmeet, as, as wife to her husband, and the husband's role as provider, keeper, protector, all those kind of things. Now he's going to turn his attention to the man, and he's going to pronounce the judgment on him. And you're going to see that the judgment on the man is on his role. His role as provider and leader and, and all those things. It says in verse, um, where am I at? 
17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree. Notice the sin. He identifies Adam's sin. Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam was standing right there and just listened to his wife rather than listening to the serpent. He said, because you have hearkened unto your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, God gave Adam a face-to-face direct command. Eve was not created yet when God gave Adam the command not to eat from the tree. He says, you listen to your wife rather than heeding the voice of which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it. He said, now... Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow, which is the same word that he used for the childbearing of the, of the woman, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return to the ground. Let me stop there and just talk about that for a minute. Now, before, it's not saying work is part of the curse because there was work before the fall. He worked in the garden. He kept the garden till the garden. But now creation itself is rebelling against man's dominion. Remember it says to the man and woman, you'll have dominion over creation. You will have, you know, you will keep it and guard it and protect it and work it and all the fish of the sea and all. Now it says the ground is going to be hostile toward you. Before, I'm just thinking in my mind, you know, you're in, in the Garden of Eden and there's, remember he said the trees were abundance of food. They were beautiful to the to, to see it was just it was paradise itself to be there in the garden of eden you know you worked and you kept the garden but there was an abundance of food on the trees you can have anything you want to eat from any tree except for this one tree that's what he was told he says now you want to eat bread he says you're going to have to toil and labor in the ground the ground's not just going to produce trees that give you fruit now you're going to have to work for that fruit you're going to have to work for that and when you work the toil of your ground the, the ground is going to fight against you now it's going to produce thorns and weeds and thistles and all these things it's going to produce these things that are going to try to keep you from fulfilling your mandate <clears throat> of providing and protecting he said the ground itself is cursed so it will be hostile to you. So you got the woman's role affected in both childbearing and in her relationship to her husband. And now you have the man's role in providing being affected. No longer. It says you will, you will work the ground in toil, in sweat, and in sorrow. It says all the days of your life. And that's what, that's what he's talking about. Does that correspond to anything that we... I mean, that's pretty much the experience that we have today. So... Like, in today's perspective with, like, farmers and stuff, you know, their crops might not come as what they expect when they plant. Right, right. So maybe the inclement weather or not enough rain or not enough, you know, heat for the cotton. So you're saying that the demands of the ground might not always be as what they planted. So that's that's part of their curse. Right, right. And, and I would take it, <clears throat> I would take it even further than just farming. I mean, it's just, yeah, that's what, that's what, basically that was Adam's job was to be a farmer, to be a ground tiller and all that. And so, but it, you see it in our man's role as provider and protector and keeper. You see that it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to, you know, you go out and you have to, you have to, 
have, have the sweat of your brow. You have toil and labor. You have the same sorrows. Remember we talked about anxiety and emotional issues and all those kind of things with childbearing and all that? You have those same things in the toil and the labor and the work that you do. In the thing. It's not, it's not um, necessarily... There are some jobs that you have that are pleasurable and all that, but what we're talking about is the role of man in the family and the role of man in creation. It's by the sweat of your brow. In sorrow, you're going you're gonna to live. And he tacks on this phrase, all the days of your life... What does it say? In the sweat of thy face, all, you was... And return to the ground. Thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou was taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust thou shalt return. Now for us. Death is part of life. Right? I mean you know. You're born. Even, even a little child knows. One day you're going to die. Alright? We all know here. There's going to come a day. And if Christ doesn't return first. You and I are going to die. Adam had no concept at all. Of what death was. He was made never to die. He was made, his experience didn't know it. Imagine what Adam felt like the first time he heard God say, you're going to be in sorrow until you return to the ground. Till I do what? Until I, it says, I took you from the ground to the ground you shall return. Imagine what's going through, what, what he's pronouncing here is now that the curse is in effect, now that the punishment has come, Death is a reality. There's going to come a time, Adam, when you're going to return to the ground, when you're going to return to the dust. You're going to die. Can you imagine what Adam thought the very first time he heard right here in these verses that my life is going to come to an end at some point? I'm going to return. He says, not only, not only is death coming to the creation, but I'm going to have sorrow and toil and the sweat of my brow until that comes. For the first time, we see Adam hearing the condemnation of death is a reality in his life. He oh, I think so. That's what I was thinking. I wonder if he, he may have had an understanding, but not the full understanding of what this really meant. Yeah, well, if he didn't understand it, he will shortly because God is going to kill an animal to clothe them. And he's going to see what his sin caused. He's going to see the payment, the price of what his sin cost. I know it's kind of a crazy question, but what would your history of a study in this be the age limit of, of these two at this point? How old they were right here? Yeah. Oh, I have not. There's, there's no... The, the, if you're asking my opinion, I, I don't see much time elapsing between the creation of them and the fall. I, I, I mean, it could have been a few days. I mean, it could have been a few weeks. I, there's no way to know. No way to know. I think it had been a drastic difference between the way of life that they knew. Oh, it's going to be a huge they difference. They knew nothing of what he's telling them now. Yeah. So and you know, their everyday life and their looking to the future and what, you know, it had to be completely different because it was dragged into the court. Yeah. And not only that, he's fixing to boot them out of Eden, out of the garden. They're going to have to go and make their way out in, out in the, the um, you, know, you think about a botanical garden, you're walking out into, you know, who knows what, thorns and thistles and tumbleweeds and whatever. You're going to have to go and make your way. Perfection into corruption. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's that simple. They're leaving everything that they've ever known 
as being the picture and sole purpose of where God dwells and lives and communicates with them to utter loneliness. Absolutely. They're, they have lost fellowship. paradise, I mean, fellowship, lost, lost it all. Yeah. You, when you read this, see a picture of what we are now, what they are facing versus what we're going to of what they had. Yes. In Christ, we are returned to... Exactly. Yeah. The last... And I probably should have brought more of that out in the first and uh, the second chapter of Genesis. If you look in the Greek Old Testament, which the New Testament writers quote, they don't quote the Hebrew. They quote the Greek often uh, more than... Uh, almost exclusively. Uh, in the end of Revelation, last chapter 21-22 of Revelation, it uses the same language, same phraseology, same pictures as you see in the beginning of Genesis. You have the tree of life there, the healing for the nations. You have the crystal river, the river that flows out of the city. You have, you have the same picture. In fact, the word garden, uh, in, uh, the word garden in Greek is, uh, is paradise. And so you see the paradise of God in Revelation. It's talking about the garden of God. You're talking about a return to when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and all things are created, new heavens, new earth, all that kind of thing. It will be a return to what everything was supposed to be at the very beginning of the story. And that's why understanding Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is essential for you to understand Scripture and the, the, the narrative that goes through the entire, the entire text. Because it starts at this point, it goes through following the seed of the woman, the seed of the servant, and the battle that those seeds have, the, the, how God brings that seed forward and forth, blesses it through all odds, all those things finally brings forth the perfect seed and then it culminates in the new Jerusalem which is a return to what it was supposed to be so here what you see is the story perfection creation and then the loss of that the entire rest of the book is God's redemptive plan to bring man back into the perfect fellowship of the garden of Eden with with him now last thing last four verses I want you to see, before we start moving into the, the narrative in chapter 4, there is grace that God gives in the midst of all this judgment. All this pain, all this, God gives grace. There's three pictures I want you to see uh, as we move through them. Verse 20, you're going to see a picture of Adam's faith. This always blew my mind when I read it. It's a picture of Adam's faith in the promise. Remember, there's judgment, 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 but there was a promise given in the midst of that, wasn't it? The promise was, I'll bring forth a seed, and that seed is going to put enmity between Satan and you and, and your seed, and he's going to destroy you. He's going to crush your head. He's going to bruise your head with his heel. And it says in verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now, that Eve means mother of life or mother of living things or living things. Um, that always blew my mind. I mean, that's kind of optimistic, don't you think? Really, if I was Eve's husband, I'd be like, I'd call her death. Because <laughs> like, like, she started all this mess. You know, all this stuff is mess. Why would he name her mother of the living? Why would he name her mother of the living when she's the one that messed all this stuff up? You know, of course, we know it was Adam's fault. But what I'm saying is, that's pretty dang optimistic, don't you think, of him? Look at it this way, if you're going to look at it that way. Not only did she have to go through a part of her curse was the, was the conception. When God looked into the future to see women today, not only do we still bear the children, we work too. 
Oh, don't even get to me started. That's a whole nother argument. I'm not going in there. We'll do that. We'll do that. That's right. I think he named. I think he named her Eve because he believed the promise that God had given. She would. Her seed. God said, "Your seed is going to crush his head," and he named her mother of the living because it's going to be her seed that brings forth the the antidote for the curse. It's going to be her seed, the seed of the woman, which we know is Christ, is going to be the one who destroys death and hell and destroys the grave and destroys Satan and brings humanity, mankind, back to the perfection that it had with God. And so what I see here in this picture by him calling her mother of the living, mother of life, he has a very optimistic view, and it's because he, he, he accepted the judgment upon him, but he also believed the promise that God had made. And the second picture I want you to see, that's the picture of Adam's faith. Second picture is a picture of the atonement that's going to come. And y'all probably heard this before. In 21, it said, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now see what happened. Adam and Eve knew they were naked, shame, guilt. What they try to do? They hid from God. They tried by their own hand, by their own works, to sew together fig leaves to cover their nakedness. It was not adequate. It was not enough. And it did not cover their shame or their nakedness. So God pulled all that mess off and he killed an animal to make coats for them. Sin. What does that point to? Yeah, it points to the blood sacrifice of Christ. It points later, of course, to the temple, the animal sacrifices that will be there. But ultimately, it points to the sacrifice that Christ gave. Now, one more thing. we got, we got to kind of hurry. But what do you think Adam thought? He saw the penalty of his sin. They had never seen death. They had never seen anything like this. And all of a sudden, God slaughters an animal for the first time in order to give him coats, skins, to cover his nakedness. He, he, he saw mercy, but it was pretty gruesome. Can you imagine the first time? I mean, all of a sudden, this animal that, that God, we're not told what it was, but that Adam named. You remember God brought the animals to Adam and he named them. And, you know, he was responsible for them. All of a sudden, here is one slaughtered to death, skinned. And Adam is given the skins to cover his own shame. You see what his sin cost? It cost something. Yeah, we kind of feel like somebody was to just kill one of your kids. I mean, literally, he was, that was his stuff. That's Maybe so. You know? Yeah, it, it, it had to have been, it had to have been traumatic. Oh, sure. Yeah, he, it was an animal that was taking, it was slaughtered in his place to cover, in order to cover his sin. Of course... Yeah, no, it's exactly like Jesus dying for us. It's, exact, it's a picture of the atonement of Christ. And so you see the grace, we see Adam's faith, we see the picture of the atonement. And then in 22 through 24, the last, last thing, you're going to see the grace of God booting him out of Eden. I, I see that as a grace. It says, Adam called his wife, we saw that, 22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of, as one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out forth from the Garden of Eden to, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. He placed east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, which are angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life, to keep people out. 
Why is it a grace to boot Adam out of Eden so he won't eat of the tree of life and live forever? Well, but why is it a good thing? Why is it grace? Because he wouldn't live forever under the curse. If Adam were to eat of the tree of life, if Adam were to eat of the tree of life and live forever, he would never escape his toil and his labor and the curse of the ground, the curse of the world. He would never uh, be free of the curse that he had brought upon creation. And he would never be able to have fellowship with God again, ever. For all eternity, he would never be allowed to have fellowship with God if he were to live forever under the curse that God pronounced over the creation. By kicking him out of the garden, keeping him away, of the tr- away, away from the tree of life and putting a guard of the cherubim there for the tree of life, God has a promise in place, a plan that has been set in motion that is going to bring him back into fellowship with God, make him perfect before God and restore the creation. But in order for that to happen, man cannot be allowed to live physically forever in the state of the curse. Because if he lives forever, physically, in the state of the curse, he'll never be able to come back into fellowship with God. So he's driven out. But here you see in this chapter, that's why I say it's so important, you see the beginning, the first beginning of the storyline of all the Bible. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you can see now the direction that all of Scripture goes. So you flip over to 2 Kings, or you flip over to 1 Chronicles, you open it up, and you know you really don't have a background about what's going on and who these people are. You understand that the whole point of all of Scripture is you have the seed of the woman in battle with the seed of the serpent, and you see God deliver that seed over and over and over and over and over again until finally God brings forth the perfect seed from that line that takes away the sin of the world. Anybody understand? Questions? I want to say that in, in light of what you just described, it, it changes the, almost the understanding How so? In, in, in that, you talk about the curse and under that, and then you're no longer under that in Christ. Yeah, that's right. So you're saying that, yeah, the heavy laden is not just, man, life stinks, but it's heavy laden under the curse of God, toiling, sweat of your brow, not being right with God, not in fellowship with God. Yeah, I see that. I see that as well. It almost seems like going, you know, God telling him, you know, you, you will now die is almost like and it's still grace because he's like, I'm going to give you rest. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? Somebody always asks me. Yeah, absolutely. And he probably should have. I mean, he said on this day you'll eat it, you'll surely die. Somebody always asks me, do you think Adam's in heaven? I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think so. Because... He believed the promise. He named his wife Eve, believing the promise that she would be the mother of one who would fix all of this. And just like God, you know, Abraham's faith is righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I agree. All right, let's pray, and then we'll we'll get rolling. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've given.